was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness. It's kind of interesting that we celebrate Independence Day, July 4th, 1776, but that was not the day that the war ended, right? The, it ran for several more years, and probably many of us couldn't really name from memory the actual ending day of the Revolutionary War, but you know, right now, we still live in this world where we still see death, right? You know, Christ, in his death on the cross, you know, he, he won the victory over sin and death, uh, but we don't yet see that uh, here, but we know it is coming, and, and I just love these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So praise God that that victory, uh, that day of, of triumph is coming. And uh, we're going to sing another song uh, that helps us to focus on that. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning, and we are uh, want to wish you a happy 4th of July. Uh, have a blessed 4th of July again. We're here primarily to celebrate uh, the Lord's Day, and that's our main focus, but we are grateful that we are able to do that in a country where we're free, and we thank uh, the Lord for those who labored and fought so hard to provide for this freedom. I'd like you to pray with me if you would. Father, thank you uh, for your love for us. And for the fact that uh, those of us who are in Christ, one day we will rise. We will not be bound, no more sorrow, no more pain. I, I pray that you'd give us grace and strength to, to live for you each day here this side of glory. We pray that you would allow your word to penetrate our hearts, to change us, to transform us into the people you want us to be. For your glory and the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a <clears throat> start with a little test. I'm going to give you two scenarios, and you're going to tell me which one is true. Last week, I received uh, two separate text messages, uh, one from an old brother in Christ and one from uh, a, a friend who's a brother in Christ, but he's a new friend. Both of them were really, really encouraging. Several years ago, I was <clears throat> uh, in a church, and the church leadership had to go to uh, one of the other leaders in the church who had chosen a particular 
material to teach during Sunday school that was really not scriptural. And so the leaders of the church had to go and just uh, say, you know, we really don't think you should teach this. It's really not really aligned with scripture, and here's why. So which one of those two scenarios is a demonstration of love within the body of Christ? Both of them, yeah, both of them. A little trick trick question but both of them are and as we are here this morning we're, we're looking at Matthew's gospel and in Matthew chapter 18 the, the particular passage that we come to were we're going to see that these two ways of loving the tender love and the tough love are things that are derived from from Matthew's gospel it is here that these two life lessons in Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 through 20 are played out before us and we're going to explore what that means and what it looks like as Jesus gives this kind of a family meeting discussion in Matthew chapter 18 so I invite you to take your Bibles or your phone or your device or reach underneath the seat in front of you and grab the Bible there to Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 through 20 where we're going to look at Jesus teaching us what it means to love within the family that includes both tough and tender love. Matthew chapter 18 beginning with verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save uh, that which is lost, which some of you, if you're reading the ESV or the NIV, you didn't even read that because it's not in there. Okay, so some of the older manuscripts, most of the older manuscripts don't include it. Verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the, over the 99 which have not gone astray. Thus, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them or in their midst." And so, first of all, we see Jesus addressing the issue of what it means to demonstrate tender love, you know, our tender love for our fellow believers. And Jesus employs two tactics to communicate the necessity of tender love among the body of Christ. First of all, he issues the requirement for it. There's a requirement for it. If you read verse 10, he says, see to it or see that you do not despise one of these little ones, okay? It's a requirement, it's a strong warning not to despise the little ones. Well, who are the little ones? Verse 6, these little ones who believe, they're fellow believers. What does it mean to despise? It means to look down on. It means to regard as insignificant, to treat with disdain or contempt. Now, this is not a 
example from Christians despising other Christians, but there was a recent hiring by the New York Times. They hired a, another person to the editorial staff. And this woman in 2014, she put out this as a tweet. She said, um, oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Despising, looking down on, regarding as insignificant, okay? So this is the, the, the disdain. And so in the body of Christ, this is not supposed to happen, okay? So if we look at the context what does it mean to despise? How do we know if we're despising others in the body of Christ? Well, from the context, I see at least three ways that we can despise other, other believers, okay? First of all, uh, we, would, we would despise other believers when we demand or we demonstrate partiality. If you remember back in chapter 18, earlier in verses, verse 1, it was the disciples coming to Jesus saying, which one, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so this idea of favoritism, when the disciples arrogantly sought a favored position with the Lord, they're basically demeaning other people, despising or looking down on and thinking they're better than other people, you know. We're supposed to, according to Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning or in verse 5, we're supposed to welcome anyone into the family of God. We're not supposed to show partiality to one brother or sister over another, Right? We're supposed to exercise humility and not hubris or haughtiness or pride. We're supposed to love everyone. I want you to look at James chapter 2. You don't turn in your Bibles there. If you look at the screen, I think we should have that up there. My, my brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Okay? Personal favoritism. Then he goes on in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and are convicted by the law as violators. Okay, you're convicted by, as, as violators. Partiality, favoritism, based on age, based on gender, based on economic status, based upon physical appearance, spiritual maturity, or lack of spiritual maturity, or a person's ethnicity is sin. It's wrong. And I'm going to say this. There's this wave going through the country of uh, teaching critical race theory or critical theory. And what I'd like to say to you is that uh, one of the cornerstone pillars of critical race theory is partiality. It teaches ethnic favoritism. Ethnic partiality, which means basically that, that some group of people based on their ethnicity is better than another group of people. This is antithetical to the, to the scriptures. It's antithetical to Christianity, and therefore it's incompatible with, with God's word. So we despise people when we demand or we demonstrate favoritism. We despise people in the body of Christ when other believers, when we flaunt our liberties. Now, this is going back to last week. We flaunt our liberties and cause other people to stumble. Because I'm free to do what I'm free to do, and I do it because I'm free to do it, and it causes you to stumble, then that is a sin, and it's a, it's a despising of another person. You know, it's a holding people down. Romans chapter 14 has a lot to say about loving each other and restraining our liberties. Verse 
13, therefore, let's not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. Verse 15, for if because of food your brother or sister is hurt, you are no longer walking in accordance with love. Do not destroy with your choice of food that person for which or for whom Christ died. And then I think verse 19, do we have verse 19? No, that's it, okay, yeah, there it is. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So here's the deal. I may have freedom in Christ, and obviously I do have freedom in Christ, to work on Sunday. Because <laughs> I'm here, right? I may have freedom in Christ to enjoy an adult beverage. I may have freedom in Christ to wear certain clothes or to watch certain shows or to listen to certain music. I may have freedom in Christ to do all that, but I doesn't mean that's because I have freedom in Christ to do it doesn't mean that I should. It doesn't mean that you should either, if you have freedom in Christ. If we are truly seeking to love one another and other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, if I know that that would cause someone to stumble, this is the idea, then I'm looking down on them, that that would be injurious to other people. Thirdly, we despise uh, others' little ones when we arrogantly persist in sin that either insults them or injures them, or incites them to sin as well. What do you mean by that? Well, if, if I'm injuring people, if I'm hurting people by what I say about them, if I'm overly critical, or if I'm gossiping, or if I'm judgmental, well, that's a sin that is despising another person. Or if I'm just living in sin that causes another person to say, well, I can can sin too. That is despising another person. Tender love begins with a conscious effort to pursue personal holiness. Personal holiness. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what is God calling me to do. The scripture is very clear. Personal holiness. I'm going to eliminate partiality. Okay? I'm working to eliminate partiality. I'm restricting my liberties. I'm purging sin as it comes to my mind and as God reveals it to me. I'm getting rid of it so that I'm a clean vessel for the Lord. This is what God has called us to. And you know the passage in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus says, do do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of us regard others as more important than ourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, and being found in likeness as a man, and humbled himself and became obedient to the cross, to death, even the death on the cross. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Snubbing people because of some surface idea or surface thought or some prejudgment that I have about that person or based upon their economic status, based upon their their gender, based upon whatever category it is. God calls us to love people, not to continue in sin. So he gives us the requirement. Don't despise them then he gives us the reason and the reason is teased out at the end of verse 
10 through verse 14. And I'm just going to summarize for you and then we're going to unpack it. Basically, he says, because these little ones matter to God. They're important to him. And there are two ways that he drives home this truth. First of all, our father's protection of the little ones. And this is at the end of verse 10. He says, for. Now see the word for there? It's a reason. Okay. Indicates the reason. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my father who is in heaven. Their angels. Whose angels? The little ones. The little ones have angels in heaven before God. Uh Uh-oh. But guess what? If you're a little one, you do too. It's not just for other little ones. It's for all little ones. Those who are his children. The protection of the Father. For I say to you, is Jesus' words, I say to you, is I'm speaking with heavenly authority. When, uh, when I've flown, you go to the airport, <clears throat> go up to, through the security check, and the TSA agent says, I'd like to see your, your ID and your ticket. You don't go, ah, don't have it with me, sorry. Too bad. No, he speaks with authority of the federal government. you got to give me your ID, and you have to give me, show me your ticket. Jesus says, I speak with heavenly authority. They're angels in heaven. Doesn't mean, again, pronouns matter. It's a plural pronoun. Their angels in heaven doesn't mean that every individual believer has a particular one angel watching over them. No. But it does, if we look at, I'm going to show you in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that God's angels are watching over his people. Are they not all ministering spirits, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, sent out to render service to those who are set apart for salvation? Are they not all, these angels, ministering spirits, sent out to protect us, sent out to promote our spiritual well-being? Think about that. God's got angels in heaven. And they're all about protecting his little ones. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that includes you. They're all about promoting spiritual well-being among his little ones. That includes us. And their angels, their, I'm going to use a, a basketball analogy. I suppose you can say the same. I don't know if they do this in soccer or some other sport, but in basketball, it's zone coverage, not man-to-man, okay? They're angels, okay? They're, they're, it's zone coverage. Uh, so they're, they're picking you up, okay? I'm passing you off, you know. He, this, this knucklehead is passing over. Okay, you got him now. Take care of him. Watch out over him. And then he passes out, oh, you got him. Angels in heaven are watching out, promoting our spiritual well-being and protecting us. And God has them in charge in heaven. They're before the the Father, right? And so they're waiting for and carrying out his instructions. (laughs) So any attempt on our part to despise one of these little ones is certainly going to be seen before the Father and certainly going to be Opposed by the Father. He's not going to be pleased with us. It's going to be not going to set well with him. And then think about this. If you had secret service protection, what does that say about you in relationship to who's protecting you? 
you're more important than the ones who are protecting you. <laughs> That's why you have secret service protection. Believers have angelic protection. And so for us to despise those whom the angels are protecting for the Father, whew, uh, that's not a good deal, okay? That's not a good thing. You, you shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. We should not be antagonistic towards them, neither should we be apathetic towards them. We should be concerned about them, just as our Heavenly Father is. Secondly, He doesn't just protect, but He's pursuing and that's the parable that comes next. It says in verse 12, What do you think? Which introduces the parable, communicating the value of each of these little ones to the Father. And he's doing this in order to stress the lunacy of trying to cause one of them to stumble, to despise any of them, but also the necessity that we should be going after them if they're straying. Because they matter to the Father. The scripture frequently talks about believers as sheep, right? So here we have another example of this as sheep. You can go back to Ezekiel chapter 34. We can go back to Matthew chapter 10, uh, 9 and 10. Sheep are uh, referred to and parallels to his, his, his children. And the straying sheep represent the possibility of apostasy, of falling into sin and, and, and getting away from God. And so, like the shepherd in the parable, and I... I read the parable once. I'm not going to read it again. There's the lost sheep, and he leaves all the 99 and goes after and finds the one lost sheep. Not the same point as Jesus' parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. Okay, Not the same. There, they're, they're absolutely not in the kingdom of God, and he's going after them to draw them into the kingdom of God. Here, this is a little one who's in the kingdom of God, but they're straying away in sin. Like the shepherd in the parable, the father's love for each little one is such that he's willing, not willing that any of them perish, that not any of them be led astray into sin. He doesn't want that. And so you look at the parable, and you can look at it now in, in your Bible, there's three things that kind of communicate the father's concern for the, the, the sheep. And that is, number one, they matter enough for him to go after them. In fact, they matter enough for him to leave the 99 to go after them. Secondly, He's willing to expend the energy to go after them. And finally, he rejoices when they're found and they're brought back. That's the Father's heart. He celebrates. And that should be a comfort to you and me. I don't know about you, if you've ever strayed into sin, if you've ever started to make choices that were leading you down a, a bad road, Father cares. He's going to come after you. He's going to chase you down. He's going to seek to draw you back. Each little one. Notice the text. There are one, 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 one. I think there's like eight times that one is mentioned in this text. So that each one, personalize it. Put your name in there. Say, Steve, he's going off on, uh, following his, his, his impulses and going down a bad road. God is willing to go after Steve. Put your name in there. Boom. He's willing to go after us because he cares. Each one matters to God. If we despise those about whom God cares so deeply, we're opposing God and we're offending God. You should think twice about it. 
I, I've never been, I've been in the, in the wild and been uh, near uh, a grizzly bear uh, before. I've been near black bears before, but uh, I've never been between a mama bear and her cubs. It's not a place you want to be. I'm telling you that to be between the father and one of his little ones is the worst place to be. We should not despise those who are his little ones. I like what Matthew Henry says, Let not earth despise those whom God respects. If God cares so much about the sheep that are lost and are going astray, then, uh, to, then we, should, we should care too. We should go after them. We should guard against sinning and causing them to sin, but we should, we should go after them as well. And so here, my call is for me, is let's eliminate partiality in the body of Christ. Let's willingly restrict our liberties for the sake of other little ones. Let's purge the sin in our own life and show our concern for other people. And so we see that there is this tender love that's supposed to permeate the body of Christ, that each of us values, and I should value you, and you should value each, we should value each other way more than I think we tend to do. But then there's this t- tough love stuff. That's verses 15 through 20, our tough love of fellow believers. The warning of verses 1 through 14 shows us the danger of sin in the body of Christ. Paul described it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 6, as a little leaven, sin as leaven, yeast. And you know, you all, we know what yeast does when you put it into the dough. It just permeates, and pretty soon the bread on the counter boom, blows up, you know, if you leave it there. Well, it's the same thing happens to the body of Christ. Sin in a believer becomes permeating all of the body of Christ so that it not just harms them, but it hurts everyone else. It's dangerous. It hampers their health and it hinders the testimony of themselves and the family of God. Think about this. Let's say, pick your your favorite restaurant. Okay. Now, if your favorite restaurant, they found out that in your favorite restaurant, a bunch of people got sick from food poisoning. You know? Because of unsanitary conditions. Guess what? It was harmful to the people who went to the restaurant. They got sick, but guess what? Uh, A lot of people aren't going back. It's not just harmful to their health, but it's hurtful to that business. Same is true in the body of Christ. Sinning, uh, a believer who's living in sin is hurtful not just to themselves. It hurts their spiritual health, but it's harmful to the body and the testimony of the body of Christ. And so we see that if God is willing to chase after the one who's gone astray, then those of us in the body need to be caring for those who are literally going astray. And, you know, if we really care about people, then we care about whether they're separated from us in relationship because of sin, and they're separated from God because of the the sin in their lives. And so we are called to do this. I'd just like to submit that we, we, we despise other believers by personally living in and proudly leading others into sin, by passively letting people go astray in sin, and by purposefully leaving them in their sin. And the leaving them in their sin is this part. 
Okay? I just got done with the passively letting them go into sin. And we talked previously about living in or uh, purposely directing them into sin. But now we're like, are we just going to leave them there? People in sin, we just leave them there? Is that what God instructs us to do? No, absolutely not. And Jesus provides two incentives for exercising tough love in the family of God. Now, this is not, um, <clears throat> it's not really your, uh, you know, typical, oh, kumbaya moment here. Uh, we're, we're talking about tough stuff, right? It's not so easy. First of all, we're exhorted to tough love. Just like we're exhorted not to despise little ones, we're exhorted to exercise tough love. The text says, if, in verse 15, and if your brother sins, now the ESV and the NIV add against you, which is probably correct. If your brother or sister sins against you, refers to any violation of God's word that's directly against you. If they're gossiping about you, they're lying about you or to you, or they're stealing from you. You know, it's really sad in the body of Christ. I've known businessmen before. Still know them, but uh, they have believers that do business with them that don't pay them. That basically steal from them. I mean, they're like, we'll come to you to have, you know, for example, if it was a car, you come to get your car service, but you don't pay the mechanic. You know, you go to the doctor, but you don't pay the doctor. And your doctor is your brother in Christ. And you're meeting, seeing this person in church. How would you like to be the person who was sinned against? Oh, I got this. I'm supposed to be nice and and not despise the little one who's stealing from me or not paying their bills. This is sin. But since every believer can either sin, be sinned against or sin against another believer, it's not just a matter of only those sins that are against personally against me, but it might be somebody's persisting in a sin. It may be greed. It may be uh, jealousy. It may be uh, immorality. If they persist in that, then there's somebody that we need to talk to too. It's not a witch hunt. You know, this is, the Bible's not saying, oh, let's look around and see who's sinning. You know, let's go after him. Oh, yeah, right. No, that's not it at all. It's not, not, not a witch hunt, but a con- confronting obvious and unrepentant continuous sin in the life of a person to get them right with God, to get them right with you. The process of confronting uh, an erring brother or sister whether they have sinned against us personally or they're continuing in sin without repentance is fourfold. And that's what laid out in the text. Okay, so I'm going to sort of walk you through the text. What does the text say? First of all, you go and reprove them in private. And that's the key point. Somebody sins against me or somebody's living in sin and continuous sin, it's not a matter of gossip. It's not a matter of talking about it behind their back it's not a matter of forgetting it's not a matter of getting a committee it's not a matter of calling oh pastor i I just i I just want you to know that that so and so uh, they they treated me really badly right after this they 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 just walked off and didn't even say i'm thinking what are you telling me for go talk to them and i've had people come to me and they say i just wanted to tell you about this whoa whoa whoa, whoa. You, you got a problem with somebody then you better talk to somebody. Don't talk to me about somebody. That's the mandate. It's supposed to be in private. 
We're supposed to go to them. And when do we do this? So this is the first question is who? The who is you. Uh, the second question is when? Well, when is when? When it happened. So if you see it happen, we see it happen, go as soon as the offense is known. Quick reconciliation is the key. Then, then the person offended doesn't become bitter. If you let it set. That's where we're supposed to go. And what does it mean to reprove anyone? Shine the light on. Expose it. So whatever that sin is, it gets exposed. The offender is to expose it, for, but it's done in private, okay? Not a public spectacle. Why do we go? Look at verse 15. End of verse 15 says, Go in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's it. The point is reconciliation. The point is not humiliation. The point is reconciliation. To draw this person back into a relationship with you and with the Lord. That's the point of it. Go. Reconciliation is to turn a relationship of hostility into one of peace and goodwill. Several years ago, uh, it was after church. I remember the day I was after church and, and I was talking with somebody and I, I made a comment about another uh, person, a believer. And it, the, the comment I made, although it was true, was more of a despising comment. And somebody overheard me, and they were offended by it. And so they said, Pastor, could I speak with you? And so we went into my study, and they sat down with me, and they shared how that had hurt them. Didn't help the matter that the person I was talking about was this person's son. Okay, so the mama bear was protecting her cub. But she was right. And so I had to say, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, would you forgive me? And she said, yeah, that's fine. I was repentant, I was confessing, and I was asking for forgiveness, and we left there good. We were good. Because both of us were good with God and good with each other. Because we had reconciled. The relationship of hostility and enmity had been turned into one of peace and goodwill. Because God was doing exactly what God has called us to do. And that person did exactly what God had called us to do. And we win our brother, which is, that was just the most important relationship that we have is with each other in the body of Christ. And win them back to the Lord. This is what God has called us to, to restore them to the Father and to restore them in the family. Now, uh, this is what God called. I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 the lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome uh, but be kind to all skillful in teaching patient when wrong and gentle as correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps god may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive to do as well that is we gentleness correcting those who are in opposition so that there can be restoration because satan is going to try to hold us captive to do his will not god's will and so that's the call that God has given. So how should we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to do this? I don't know about you. So here's the deal. Uh, if you delight in doing this, or it's easy for you to do this, you shouldn't do this until it's not easy. I mean, the people who delight in confronting other people, uh, no. They're in sin. Okay? Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, 
remove the log from your own eye. I like the way he says this, you know, because if, if somebody offended me, then I'm pretty sure they have the log, right? But Jesus says, no, remove the log from your own eye so that you're able to go and remove the splinter from your brother's eye. That's my paraphrase, okay? You can read it up on the screen. I think I got that right, yeah. Okay, or the speck, okay? They got a speck in their eye. They got a little bug in their eye, and you have a log. Move, move the log. Galatians, so first of all, we do it purely, humbly. So here's the deal. I'm supposed to go with purity. I don't have any sin in my own life. Then secondly, we're supposed to do it humbly. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says that uh, we are, we, if you have a person caught in sin, then you who are spiritual, restore such a one. But let him first examine himself. Okay, we're supposed to examine ourselves first. And then in a spirit of gentleness, we go and correct them. All right? But I'm telling you what, sometimes confronting people, it, it, gentleness is not antithetical to strength, okay, or to strong words, okay. Gentleness sometimes means that we have to speak the truth in love, and sometimes it's hard. In Titus chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul uh, was confronting people, and he said, the testimony is true, for this reason, reprimand them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. In Galatians chapter 2, it was, uh, it was Peter who was confronted because Peter was eating with the, the, the Gentiles until the, the Jewish people came and then all of a sudden he backed away from them like he didn't want anything to do with them and he was confronted and Paul did it harshly, you know. I mean, strong, bold words. So gentleness is, is true. But now, here's the deal. We're supposed to confront sin. And we're, we're supposed to do that, and we're supposed to go in private. But what happens if that doesn't work? Second step is, if it doesn't work, then he says, take one more two with you. And here Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. This is the law. By two or three witnesses, it confirms a matter. So you go with two or three. The two or three of you go to confirm the matter. And when you do this, what? You're, you're confirming that they sin. You're confirming that they were confronted properly, and you're also confirming what their response was. So it's not just my word against theirs. And when you get to this point, it's not real fun. It's never fun, uh, but it's, it's not, not easy necessarily. But it's required and important. Two or three witnesses. You know, if there were two or three witnesses, if there had been two or three eyewitnesses in the Molly Tibbetts case, it would have been a closed case from the get-go very soon. Okay? This is the idea. Two or three witnesses confirms the matter. And if he refuses to listen to the two or three that gathered there, because they're going to seek to see if he'll repent and, can, and come back, then what? Step three. Tell it to the church. The, the the pertinent information is supposed to be shared with the believers who are gathered in that church body, those that consider it their church home. And they're encouraged, then the people in the church are encouraged to go to that person and ask them to repent. Yes, that's how it is. It's not, you're just not going to just, well, we're just going to air the dirty laundry today and tell you about this person living in sin or you know, what the sin they have. No, we're grieved by this person living in sin. And now we ask you to join us in talking to that person to see if they would repent and, and be brought back into fellowship. And you say, well, Pastor, have you ever done that? Yeah, I have. I hate it. 
This is the most unpleasant, most awkward, most difficult thing you can do. But it's what God calls us to do. Oh, does it, does it work out a lot? Not in my experience. But here's the deal. God broadens the group of those who are encountering the individual. You know, you go from one to two or three to the congregation. Each time they refuse to repent, there is greater pressure brought to bore in a good sense because there are more people communicating to them, hey, look, what you're doing is wrong. It's separating you from God and from us. And there are more people communicating, God loves you enough to send an army after you. He's not going to leave you in your sin. He sends enough. He, he, has, he loves you too much to let it go. It should increase the likelihood that they would repent. But if he refuses to listen to the church, step four, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Gentiles were pagans from the Jewish perspective. The tax gatherers, these were the traitors. They were Jews who had turned tail and now they were working for the Romans. These are the most despised groups to the Jewish people. And the unrepentant professing believer is to be excluded from normal church activity and interaction. Normal interaction and activities, right? And in, in, in interactions. This is radical stuff. I mean, you say, well, excommunication. Yeah, that's the word that's actually used sometimes. It's excommunication. But it's not complete isolation. In other words, it's not that you would never talk to the person, but you're just, it's, it's, the shunning, is, is, uh, shunning them completely is not in view. But anytime you would have an interaction with the person, it is for the purpose of seeking to bring them back to repentance. Okay, that's the idea. Interaction, any interaction seeks repentance and reconciliation. That's why you would talk to that person and get together with that person. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians because Paul teases this out a little bit in 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3. Okay, I think we have these, yeah. You got those, Chad? 2 Thessalonians? Okay, well, I'm going to read it then. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has some encouraging words and some challenging words for us. <clears throat> As soon as I get there in my sticky, sticky Bible. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And here's, here's what Paul says in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you have received. Then verses 14 and 15. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. Verse 15. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You can't admonish him if you're never in contact with him. So the association means that you're not in normal, actual, or normal routine association, but that there is time where you interact with this person in order to bring them back to Christ. It's tough stuff. It's not easy. We're exhorted to do it, but then we're empowered to do it. In verses 18 through 20, God's authority is the basis for this tough love. It's God's authority. It's not our authority. I don't go on my own authority and say, no, you're, doing the, you're a knucklehead and you need to get your life back together. No, I do it in the authority that God has given to me. When I receive a letter, and I have received a letter from the IRS, uh, the IRS doesn't write that letter and send that letter in their own authority. 
And they have the authority of the federal government, the United States of America, behind that letter. And that's what goes. So two ways that Jesus reveals that our authority for doing this comes from God. And it also, therefore, provides legitimacy for this and that it's not like, oh, well, they're just on a witch hunt. No, this is authority that comes from God, gives legitimacy to our confrontation. First of all, our authority is derived from God. Verse 18, truly I say to you, Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, this is the authority you have. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever is you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And you go, Whoa, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, that's not an easy one. But here's what I think it means. The authority to determine what activity warrants someone someone's excommunication from the body that is bound means bound in unforgiven sin. So the church has authority to determine if this person is bound in unforgiven sin and that merits their or merits their inclusion in, which is their not bound, they're not living in unforgiven sin, but they're free, they're okay. So the church has authority given by Jesus to decide whether this is a sin that merits them being excommunicated or they are not living in sin, which means that they're included in the body of Christ. And it's derived from God. So the church has the authority. Now you'll see where they, they get this. They, he says they shall be excluded or included or bound or loosed. Who determines that? Well, when you determine that in the body of Christ, what you're doing is you're only putting a stamp of approval on what God has already approved. The church is not doing anything different because they're looking at the Word of God saying, does this line up with the Scripture? And yes, it does, or no, it doesn't. If it doesn't, then they have been confronted in sin and they are bound in their sin. And this is only what God has said already. When we institute the consequences of tough love, we simply declare what God has already determined. It's derived from God, our authority, and secondly, it's defended by the Lord's presence. Verses 19 and 20, which these verses are often, very often, misappropriated. But here we go, 19. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Well, what's he saying? It will be done, and he says, there I am in the midst of you. So when you're gathering to pray about whether we should confront and whether it's okay to confront and, and deal with this person, and God gives you a determination on that, then when you, that's approved by God. That's what he's saying. It's bound and loosed based upon God's presence with you, and it's confirmed by him. Jesus assures us that his powerful presence is with us to purify his church. This is not just a matter of, well, where two or three are gathered in his midst, there the Lord isn't with us. Well, of course, I mean, when I'm praying in my uh, prayer closet, the Lord is with me. Is he not with you? Of course he is. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is primarily in the context of church discipline, that the Lord will confirm what you are praying about, whether this is the right course of action to take or not. That's what the, the essence of it is. Tough love is an action that's based on the authority that's derived from God. And that's defended by God's presence with us. Say, okay, what do I do with all this? Whew. 
Well, if you're listening or you're here this morning and you really don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you say, well, the tender love stuff I get, but that tough love stuff, I don't want any part of that. And then there's a lot of believers here saying, I don't want any part of that either. My challenge to you is you can never experience the tender love of God. You can never experience the tough love of God. You can never express the tender love of God and the tough love of God unless you're his child. And so I would invite you to turn from your sin and trust in this Jesus who loves you enough to chase after you, to grab you by the nap of the neck and and draw you into the kingdom of God and submit yourself to him. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. I would challenge us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Any little ones you're despising? Is anybody based upon their age or their gender or their ethnicity or their economic status that that you kind of tend to look down upon? I don't know about you, but this past week, God brought me under some serious conviction because he showed me some things that need purging in my life. There's, there's, There's... Someone that that has been treated inappropriately by me. Just things that I say that are just not encouraging or supportive or, or, you know, just, it's wrong. They're a little one in the eyes of God. And they need to be valued because God values them as important. Not because we have value in and of ourselves, but it is put in us by God who created us and redeemed us for himself. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Eliminate partiality. Are you willing to restrict your liberty? Oh, I got freedom to do that in Christ. God's not going to judge me. Yeah, he's not going to judge you for that, but he may judge you for the stumbling that causes another. And am I willing, by God's grace, to purge the sin in my life? What about you? Are you willing to go to the person instead of go to me to talk about the person who sins against you? You see, when Jesus died on the cross, his death and resurrection made it possible for us, every one of us who believe in him, to experience and express the tough love of God and the tender love of God. And he wants you to be part of that family too. And so as we break this bread, actually we're not going to break it, we're going to take the little wafer and we're going to take the juice as a remembrance of what Jesus did for us. My prayer is that you would help, it would be a reminder to us of how much each of us matters who knows Jesus to the Father, that he would sacrifice and has sacrificed on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, by your grace, help us to uh, embrace these difficult truths. I pray that our lives would be changed, Lord. I pray in my own life that partiality would be eliminated. I pray that liberty would be restricted. I pray that sin would be purged so that I more consistently treat those who are your children, these little ones, with grandeur and majesty and encouragement, not despising them, that I would be willing to see sin and be confronted in sin and that each of us would too. As we take these elements, Lord, help us to see the value of each each and every individual believer in Jesus' name. Amen. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. Never runs out on me.